Anybody remember, like maybe when you were a little kid, I'm thinking like elementary age, that for whatever reason, there just came a moment, whether it was adventure or anger or maybe a combination of both, you said to yourself, that's it, I'm running away from home. <laughs> that's it, I'm done, I'm running away from home. I couldn't remember being a kid. And I, I don't remember why. Like, I just, I remember there, I had a little, like this tapestry-looking suitcase. It was a small little suitcase, about the size of like a briefcase that, that you might carry. And I can remember setting it out on my bed and starting to put some clothes in it and zipping that thing up because I don't know whether I was angry. I don't know whether it was because I wanted a, an adventure. Maybe I was thinking about joining the circus or going to Bible college. It's kind of the same thing. I mean, I don't know what it was. But I was like, that's it. I'm gone. I'm running away from home. I remember zipping the thing up, and that's about it. I don't think I ever left my bedroom. <laughs> it's just, you know, but you just have that mindset where you just say, I can't take it anymore. I'm running away from home. This is a little bit about what we're going to talk about here today. You, you might not know this, but there's two books in our New Testament who were written by individuals who, who knew Jesus very well. In fact, they were his physical earthly brothers. They grew up in the same house. Joseph was the, the father to these two, who Mary was the mother as well. And they were James, who wrote the, the book of James that we have as the New Testament. We've looked at that in detail in the past. And then the other is the book of Jude. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Jude today. Jude was the brother of Jesus. Um, Jude is, if you don't know where it is, it's the next to the last book in the whole Bible. So it's the next to the last book in the New Testament. So if you get to the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible and you just make a left, you'll get to Jude. And uh, Jude's just one chapter. So sometimes we'll say Jude chapter one, there only is one. It's 25 verses. It's unique in a lot of ways. It has kind of this kind of different apocalyptic tone than some of the other New Testament books. It quotes some really unique uh, Jewish sources. He was writing this letter. When, when we talk about the letters that the authors of Scripture wrote, we usually refer to them as an epistle, kind of a special letter that, that an apostle wrote. And this epistle that Jude wrote, he wrote to a church that was going through hard times because there was persecution. But not only was there persecution outside the church, but false teachers had made their way inside the church. And Jude was writing to them, and he was saying, you need to be careful what you believe. You need to look out who influences you and what they say. And at the end of this, when I was reading the book of Jude, and I got down to verse 22, almost the very end of the book, there was this one phrase that really stood out to me. And maybe because of the series that we're in. Like, like we're, we're in this series of messages that we're called Let's Talk About. And then we've been talking about some different topics, some things that are easy for us to ignore, or maybe things we don't talk about that much because they can be a little bit uncomfortable or even awkward at times. We started out several weeks ago talking about what it means to be a Christian, that the Bible says we're to be salt and light. It says that we are to be different and make a difference in the world around us. And then the following week, Pastor Chris walked us through the authority of God's word, why we build our lives on the scripture, why we say that God's word is the truth, the objective standard for the choices and the decisions that we make in life. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus is coming again. We refer to that as the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, and we talked about how one day there is eternity and there's life on the other side of this life. And someday Jesus will come again. I think all of that gives good context because it fits right in with what Jude is saying. He says to them, you're different and you live based on God's word. And you live in a world in what is referred to as the end times. We live in the end times when there's craziness in the world around us, and Jesus is coming back, but until then, he says this, Jude chapter 1, verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Interesting phrase. Sometimes we, we don't do that in the church. Instead of saying being merciful to those who doubt, we say be critical of those who doubt. It's a little bit different what Jude says here. I think, I think doubt freaks us out sometimes when we think that someone might not believe in God might not put their faith in Jesus, or maybe they're, they're, they're wavering a little bit, or they're asking questions that can't be answered easily, or maybe make us uncomfortable to think about. And he says here, be merciful to those who doubt. Oftentimes, what we read is, freak out about those who doubt, <laughs> because maybe God's threatened. Maybe God can't defend himself, or stay away from those who doubt, because doubt might be contagious, and you don't want to catch that. What Scripture says is be merciful to those who doubt. And here's the reality of it. If we're honest with one another, isn't doubt a part of life? 
I think for many of us, there's times when it's good to acknowledge that sometimes a part of developing our Christian faith is that you may at some point even hit, and we'll talk about this here in just a moment, you might even hit a season where you wrestle with some doubt. In fact, if you've never had moments where you've at least wrestled with some doubt, then maybe your faith has not grown. Maybe it's been more stagnant than what God would intend for it to be. So where does doubt come from if, if Jude says for us to, to be merciful towards those who are in that position? You may know someone who's wrestling with doubt. It might be you today. So it's good for us to think about this. Let me give you four catalysts for doubt. Doubt comes from so many different reasons. It comes from different ways and things in our lives. I'm using the word catalyst here today so that it's a word that helps us to know these are things that can stir up, can activate, maybe start some doubt in our lives. Four catalysts for doubt. Maybe you've, you've been in a place where you've tried to believe and had a hard time or you find yourself wrestling with questions. Here's, here's some things to consider. The first catalyst for doubt that comes in our lives sometimes is what we'll just call voices of confusion. If you're in a place where you try to believe and you hear some of these voices that can easily confuse us, it can at times stir up doubt in our lives. It can come from other people's experiences. It can come from scientific information. It can come from the fact that sometimes it's just hard to believe in what we cannot see. Jude tells us we shouldn't be surprised about this. Like when he, when he writes this, Jude chapter 1, verse 17, he says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. Isn't that what we read last week? These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts, and do not have the spirit. Look, there's, there's plenty of places in our culture, in education, in the world around us. It's at our fingertips by, by way of the internet and television and every place we turn. There's voices that if you're a person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, there's voices of doubt that can have a tendency to confuse us at times. Sometimes it even comes from, like Jude said, not outside the church, but even from inside the church. Maybe part of why this is uh, kind of stuck with me of late is in the last few weeks, last month or so, there's been two kind of high-profile former Christian leaders who have stepped out and, and on social media and kind of made it very public and said, look, we just don't believe what we used to believe anymore. And it causes people to kind of go, well, why is that? Like if they used to pastor a church or if they used to be used to lead others in worship or if they used to be used in a place of leadership, how is it that now they say they don't believe what they used to believe? And it's interesting to hear these voices and the responses that come because some of the responses that come back to them are very judgmental. Some of the responses that come back to them are very loving. Some of the responses that you see coming in people's lives are, wait a minute, I'm wrestling with some of these very same things. I'm confused with some of this too. And what happens is you hear these voices and these voices very clearly as they say, look, whether it be because of personal challenges or life's disappointments or intellectual arguments, they're walking away from their faith. It is, it's confusing to many other people, especially if they're in a place where, where their faith is, is struggling in one way or another. One of these individuals made a statement and said, look, part of my problem is there's so many things that people don't talk about. So people don't talk about leaders who fall, and they don't talk about questions that science brings up about religion, and they don't talk about all these things that nobody's talking about. And the reality is, the, the truth is, you can say nobody's talking about it, but a lot of people are talking about it. There's lots of books that have been written and lots of sermons that have been preached, a lot of courses that have been taught, a lot of resources online, and they're not that hard to find in a world of Google. And so we have to be careful that when you hear a voice that sounds like it makes sense, yeah, nobody's talking about that. That you don't just listen to it, but that you think about it and go, wait a minute, everybody's talking about that. <laughs> like, it's important that we recognize that in our world, whether it be because of people who struggle with what they believe, whether it be because of scientific opposition, whether it be because that there's some people that just have a vendetta against religion, there will be voices that confuse us. Here's a second catalyst for doubt that comes sometimes. The second one, number two, is what I would call distance from God. Sometimes we begin to doubt because of the feelings that we have. We go beyond just what faith might cause us to hold on to, and we go, you know, I just don't, I don't feel that close to God. I feel this distance between me and God. So maybe if that distance is there, maybe he's not there. Maybe you begin to doubt his presence or even if he cares about you at all. 
Just like any relationship, if you don't spend time with a person, the importance that that person has in your life can begin to dissipate. You ever heard the phrase, absence makes the heart grow fonder? It's not always true. (laughs) Absence actually kind of creates space for something else to come in sometimes. And when we have an absence of God in our lives, it creates a vacuum that usually fills itself with doubt. Because we live in a concrete world where the unseen things are easily forgotten, where there's things that I'd rather not talk about. And I say, my schedule's full, so I I really haven't had time to spend time with God. I I haven't really listened to to, uh, Christian music in a while. I haven't really uh, been reading my Bible. I'm busy. I don't have time to pray. My weekends are precious, so it can be kind of hard for me to to get to church. I've been challenged in some thoughts lately, and I, I just, I don't know. I don't know that I really believe this anymore. Sometimes we're the reason for that distance between us and God because we're moving so quickly that we fill other things with the space that if we were healthy, he would fill. Here's what the Bible tells us. Isaiah 30, verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it because you were so busy that you moved right past your strength and you filled it up with other things that don't satisfy. And then you go, I wonder why God feels so far away from me. Sometimes there's a distance between us and God and we're the reason. Sometimes there's a distance between us and God and it's a season. Sometimes there's seasons in our lives where we just go, God, it just feels like you're not there. God, it just feels like you're silent. I know I've been there. I think for many of us, if we were honest, there's times we just go, God, I, I wonder where you are. You ever feel that way? Know that you're in good company. Here's what the psalmist said, Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day, I have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Do you hear any tones of doubt in that? Do you hear any tones of, God, where are you? Look, sometimes we feel a distance from God and we're the reason. Sometimes we feel a distance from God because it's a season that we're in. We have to be careful when we feel that distance that we don't let it get filled with doubt. Here's a third catalyst to look at today when we talk about doubt. Number three are the choices we make. Number three, the choices we make. If I had to describe this with one word, I suppose the word would be sin. Like there's choices that we make in our lifestyle that keep us from having a strong relationship with God. And we know that there's certain things that would allow us to be closer to God, but we, we choose the opposite, whether it's active or passive. And because of that sin, and it's different for all of us, those places where we're tempted, those places where it's easy for us to give in, it creates this wall that can come up between us and God, and then we wonder, is God there or not? And we're wondering, why doesn't he respond? Why, why don't I feel him? Why don't I feel his presence? We start to doubt. Here, look at this interesting passage, Isaiah 59, verse 1. It says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. Like, you feel like he's not there. Well, he's not far away. He's right there. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Well, that's, that's kind of judgy of you, Chad, isn't it? <laughs> not really. I mean, Scripture just states the fact that when I've allowed things in my life that are not pleasing to God, they separate me from God. And it's not that God's not close. It's that I've closed him out. I've chose to put something in the place of God in my life, and then he gets forced out of my thinking, and then it causes me to question his goodness, and then it causes me to question his plan for my life. It causes me to question his real power and ability to the point that I may even come to a place where I doubt his existence. You know what really bothered me? These articles that I read about these individuals that said they were walking away from their faith. Both of them made this comment where they said, you know, since I've made this decision that I'm no longer a Christian, I'm so much at peace now. I said, I'm really happy. I'm happier now than I was. That bugged me to say that they found more peace without Christ than they did with Christ. We were talking about this in our staff meeting, and I mentioned that because it really, really bothered me to hear them say that. 
And one of our staff members, she was quick, and, and she goes, well, the reason they're feeling peace is because they've pushed away conviction. Because <laughs> when you push away conviction, which can make you feel uncomfortable, you're bound to feel comfortable for a while. Picture you're that little kid that's thinking about maybe running away from home. Mom comes in your room, and your room's a mess. Mom says, this room's a mess. And you immediately roll your eyes. She says, I want you to clean up this room. And you immediately think, I'm not doing it. She says, I'm going to the grocery store. While mom's at the grocery store, you're not feeling a whole lot of conviction about your room, are you? (laughs) Who cares if it's dirty? She's not here. I can do what I want to do. There's no conviction. I'm at total peace while mom's buying produce, right? That's fine. Because she's not here. But when mom comes back, I got to answer for what I did not do with the mess that I made. And the reality is, whether I want to agree with it or not, the place that I'm living is a mess. Is the conviction gone? The conviction's gone when I push mom away. But the mess is still there. And eventually, the conviction's going to come back. Does that make sense? Look, one of the things that can be a catalyst for doubt in our lives is when we build up the things, the choices we make that actually push him away. Fourth thing, real quick before we move on, and this is a big one. Number four, one of the catalysts for doubt is disappointment in today. That I look at where I'm at, I look at the world I live in, it can be as broad as the headlines that I read. When I read about El Paso and Dayton, I don't know about you, but I go, this is a world I'm not crazy about living in. When I think of the things that are going on, conflict around the world, I ask some questions. I say, God, I'm really disappointed. (laughs) Like, the world is so messed up. How can I believe in God when there's so much evil in the world? Sometimes it's not just the headlines. Sometimes it gets real personal. And we say, God, how can I believe in you when you did not do this? God, when I asked you, to do this, or when I thought that you were loving, or I thought that this would happen. And sometimes, and, and I know, uh, like, I'm, I'm being real careful here today, right? Because I know for some of you, if you're in a place of disappointment, just throwing out truths without an understanding can sound real empty sometimes. Like, I want you to know these aren't empty words. There are times when you say, God, I don't even know where you are, you're not alone. Psalm 102, remember that because we'll come back to it. But here's how Psalm 102 starts. The psalmist writes, hear my prayer, Lord. (laughs) Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me. When I call, answer me quickly. Look, those are only the first two verses. If you go back and look at the beginning of the psalm, there's there's a little like explainer. There's like a subtitle there. It says Psalm 102. And then it says this. A prayer of an afflicted person who has grown weak and pours out a lament before the Lord. You ever felt like you've been afflicted and grown weak? And if you read that psalm, apparently not. It was just me that responded to that. But someday it's coming for you. It's coming for you, right? When you read the rest of that psalm, here's what he says next. Here's where my life's falling apart. and Here's where it feels like you're gone. And here's what's wrong in my world. And he goes on for several verses and basically just says, God, where are you? feels like you're not even here, and I sure don't like the place where I find myself. Because look, sometimes we are disappointed with life, and sometimes we face these questions that we can't answer. I heard somebody very honestly just say the other day, look, I'm just disappointed, and I'm honestly just angry with God. And in those moments, our natural inclination is to go to the closet, pull out our suitcase, and whether it's because of adventure or anger, start to pack our belongings and say, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. And it feels like we want to run away from home. For me, that's a, that's a good picture of doubt. And for Jude, he knew the life that those people were living. He knew that they were living in a pressure cooker of a society. These are first-generation Christians. They've never been to church before. 
And he's trying to say to them, look, you're going to live in a world that's not going to understand you. And you're going to live among people where you are going to be different from them. And even as a result of that, there's going to be people who are going to come in and say things to you that aren't true. They're things that are false. They're going to want you to believe things that just will not help you. And he says to the church, he says, look, church, <laughs> it's, almost, it's almost like when you're on an airplane, right? And you're on an airplane, and there's turbulence, and the flight gets a little crazy, and the person next to you starts to freak out a little bit. You ever had those we're all going to die moments when you're on a plane? Anybody? And he's saying, look, that person there, have mercy on the one who doubts. Because at some point in that turbulence, there's a good chance the compartment's going to open and the oxygen's going to come down. And what do they say about that? They say, before you put it on the other person, make sure you put it on yourself, right? Why? Because you're selfish. No. Because you can't help anybody else if you don't take care of yourself. That's what Jude does here. It's interesting. Because in verse 17, which we already read, 17 through 19, he says, the world's a mess. He says, there's false teachers. And then in 22, he says, have mercy on those who doubt. But in verses 20 and 21, he puts oxygen on your face. He says, you're going to face doubt too. You're going to have trials and trouble. And he says, when those times come, here's what you need. Jude chapter 1, verse 20, he says, but you, dear friends... He's putting an arm around him, isn't he? He's not judging him. He says, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. There's some powerful words there when he talks about faith and praying and love and eternal life. What I want to do in these next few moments then is show you again those catalysts that we looked at for doubt and show you how the oxygen mask that Jude gives to you here helps you to walk through those seasons when doubt comes knocking at your door. I want to show you how you and I can be finding hope in times of doubt. And let's go back to what we've already talked about and then see how we can be in a place where we're finding hope in times of doubt. Here's the first one. Faith challenges the voices. Look, there will be confusing voices that will come your way. In those moments, I'm not saying that you don't pay attention to the voices. I'm not saying that you don't think about the voices. I'm not saying that you just ignorantly and blissfully push them away. I'm saying that even when those voices come, you hang on to your faith. Because your faith will challenge the voices. Because you may be sitting in a classroom where you can't help but hear the voices. Or you may be surrounded in an environment at work or at school or in your home where those voices are going to come your way. And the Bible never tells us to hide under a rock. It says to stand on the rock and to hold on to our faith. Even some of the greatest Christian statements in history have wrestled with doubt. People from, from Martin Luther to Charles Spurgeon to C.S. Lewis have been very open about the fact that they've gone through seasons where there have been voices that have caused confusion in their life. So can I tell you this? Just th three things, kind of as we're thinking about this. Just maybe if, if you're taking notes, think about these things. Be careful the voices you listen to. Like, be careful the voices you listen to. And I would even go on to say, be careful when you listen to those voices. Because you know when your heart is more vulnerable than other times. Does that make sense? Be careful those voices. I remember doing, um, like, marital counseling with a couple. It was interesting. Did marital counseling <laughs> and then ended up doing post-divorce counseling. Good work, Chad. And... Um, And I remember there was all this animosity and tension between the two of them. Like, it, it was a mess. And then I remember talking with her afterwards. Here was part of the process. That every time they would have conflict, she would end up talking to someone and saying, I don't know if my husband even loves me. And this other person didn't like her husband. <laughs> and so then would say, yeah, I bet he doesn't. He's kind of a jerk, isn't he? And said, so, no, he says, even to the point that the other person was lying about her husband to her, and she was believing those lies. So we, you know, they worked through all this stuff and made their decision. They had their divorce. And then after the fact, she's finding out that many of the feelings that she had about this person that she had pledged her love and faithfulness to, she was having feelings about them based on things that weren't even really true because she was listening to the wrong, help me, voices. You're not just in a covenant relationship with your spouse. When you accept Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're in a covenant relationship with God, are you not? And you need to be careful the voices that you listen to. 
Because there's a lot of people who could care less about whether you have a healthy relationship with your Savior or not. So at some point, I have to decide to listen to the voices that are healthy and be careful what I listen to. And this is the other thing. So many times, I'll talk with people, and they'll be like, wow, I'm having a hard time believing. I'm having a hard time because of this. And they'll throw out something, whether it's in science or in nature or in logic or things that can't be explained by what we see. And they say, this keeps me from believing in God. There's an 82-year-old woman who was driving in Traverse City, um, Michigan, just within the last couple of weeks. And as she was driving down the road, she must have been going at a pretty good clip because she's driving down the road and all of a sudden a squirrel ran out in front of her. Well, she didn't want to hit the squirrel, so she swerved. Well, when she swerved to not hit the squirrel, she hit a parked car. And she hit it just the right way that she flipped her own vehicle. So now, in order to not hit a squirrel, she's hit a parked car and flipped her own car. Now, some people came, got her out. They say she just had, like, scratches and minor bruises. She refused to go to the hospital. And according to the story, we think she's all right. But isn't it crazy that to swerve, to miss a squirrel, she ended up flipping her her world. Her <laughs> you try saying squirrel and world in the same sentence. Let's rewind that a minute. Tongue twister. You know what I'm trying to say, right? She flipped her whole world upside down. Here's the funny part. It's just a squirrel. The squirrel probably could have taken care of itself, right? Because, like, the squirrel would have been fine. I've tried it. Well, no, no, you know what I'm saying. Like, like, you have to. You know what I'm saying, right? But here's this little thing that when she tried to avoid that, she ended up flipping her whole world upside down. Look, be careful the things that you chase after. Be careful the things that you let throw you off. Be careful the voices that you listen to, and instead, listen to voices that build faith, because there's plenty of them. To the argument that, well, nobody talks about these things. Yeah, a lot of people talk about these things. And there's lots of voices that you can go back to that will help to build your faith. There's a whole study of Christian theology called apologetics. Apologetics. And sometimes we go, oh, I can't understand all that stuff. Look, there's a lot of great teaching that helps you to know and understand what you believe that is easily accessible. Well, I don't have money to buy all those books, or I don't know where to find all those things. Boy, do I have a deal for you. You go out to our website, right, salutocalvary.org, right up at the top, one of the links says media. And if you go out and kind of hover over that media button, you click on it, there's going to be a drop-down menu. And one of the options that there says right now media. And if you click on that, that's a free service, emphasize free, that Calvary makes available as a gift to the church. And on that right now media, there are thousands of videos that are available to stream on your tablet, on your phone, you can put it on your TV, however you want to do this, on your computer, and you can watch these things. There's all kinds of great cartoons and programs for children that can help you out in the moments when you need that. Parents, do you know what I'm talking about? Right? But on top of that, then there's, there's Bible studies about parenting. There's Bible studies about marriage. There's Bible studies about books of the Bible. And if you go up to the search and you search for apologetics, you'll find hundreds of videos that you can watch that help to understand some of these questions when we hear these confusing voices. Teachers like Josh McDowell and William Lane Craig. Anybody heard of Ravi Zacharias? Man, powerful teaching that can help you to understand those things. So look, be careful the voices that you listen to. Listen to voices that will build your faith. And then some of you are not going to like this. One last thought on this. Accept that some things are just too wonderful. Like there are some things that are just too wonderful for you to understand. In, in this world, where I can only understand what I can see and not what is unseen, sometimes I gotta go, yeah, it's, it's just kinda out of my reach. Psalm 131, verse one, the psalmist says, my heart is not proud. Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters. I love this line, or things too wonderful for me. God, there's got to be times when I just go, you know, you are big and I'm small. And there's some things that I just will never understand. Isn't that what faith is about in the first place? If I understood everything, I wouldn't need faith. At some point, faith is me believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Sometimes I talk to people and they're like, God, I need you to do a miracle for me. God, I believe that you're going to do a miracle. And we, we come with this great boldness to the point that we hang our faith on the fact 
we will believe in God if he does that miracle. And I don't know if that's a lot of faith or if it's a lack of faith. Because I think faith says, God, I believe in you whether I see evidence of it or not. God, I put my trust in you. When we hold on to faith, it challenges those confusing voices. And here's another thought. When we're struggling with doubt, prayer closes the distance. Prayer closes the distance. You talk about a distance you might feel between you and God, then I would encourage you to reach out to God. Spend some time with God. Think about him. Here's the deal. If you don't spend time with a person, your mind begins to, all kinds of, to think about all kinds of things about them that just might not be true. Isn't that true? Like if you're, if you're out in the atrium and you see me from across the atrium, you're just kind of standing over one of those high top tables and you're just watching me from across the atrium, you just kind of look at me and you're like, isn't he full of himself? Boy, he thinks he's all that, doesn't he? Walking around over there. You're just kind of watching those thoughts in your brain. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know people who are like that. You're not, but you know people like that, right? You're like, look at them. I would never wear that. (laughs) And they shouldn't, right? You know, you have those thoughts, right? Until you go up and have a conversation with them. And then afterwards, you're like, you know who I had the nicest talk with today? Chad's a very nice man, right? <laughs> you don't know that from across the atrium. But when you and I get face-to-face, it changes everything, doesn't it? You know the reason why it's easy to have some of those thoughts about God sometimes? You don't spend any time with him. <laughs> Can I challenge you, if you're wrestling with this, start the conversation. I don't know how to pray. Just start talking to him like you would a friend. Do it, do it in the car as you're driving. It used to be that if you talked to yourself in the car, people thought you were crazy. Now they just think you're on the phone. Isn't it awesome? <laughs> right? True? So start talking to him. Read your Bible. There's all kinds of tools. Listen to your Bible. Listen to music that'll fill you up. I was talking to a lady not too long ago. She's like, I just have so much fear. I just have so much fear in my life. I don't know what to do. And the more we're talking, she starts telling me about the music that she listens to and the video games she plays and the scary movies she watches. I'm like, I don't have a problem with music, movies, or video games. Just don't fill your mind with trash and then wonder why you can't hear from God. He's like, I'd like to come over, but it's messy. <laughs> I'm happy to clean you, help you clean it up, right? Like, does this make sense? Like, so, so, like, start that conversation. Here's what the Bible says, Psalm 46, verse 10. He says, be still and know that I'm God. All right, preacher, but I did that, and I didn't hear anything. Like, I went to him, and I talked to him. In fact, I used to talk to God and, and felt like he heard me. Like, I remember when I first came to church, when I really had this issue, there, there was a time when I felt like he was close to me. Or I've prayed, and I felt like I heard from him, but not right now. So you and your whole pray, and it'll close the distance. That's probably good for some people, but Chad, it doesn't seem to be working for me. I don't want to minimize that. Like, I've been there. I know what it's like to go months and wonder, God, do you hear me at all? Because sometimes those feelings can you, leave you so cold and empty in those times. And not to minimize it, but can I tell you you're in good company? Do you remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He said, I've been praying for God to take away this thorn in my flesh, he called it. And he ain't answering. Do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He says, Lord, will you take this cup from me? God didn't hear that prayer. In fact, to the point that within hours, he's hanging on a cross and saying, God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes there is a silence. But can I tell you in that silence, it's not because God is cold and it's not because he's distant. What I came to find out in that season of silence was that I would never want to go through that again, but I know he became so real to me because of it. Do you know what Paul says? Paul says that in the midst of that silence where God wasn't answering his prayers, that what God did communicate to him was this. He said that my strength is made perfect in your weakness and that my grace is there for you. And you realize that in that very moment when Jesus said, God, where are you? God was setting up the plan so that you and I could know him. 
And then on the other side of that cross was a resurrection. Look, I know this may sound kind of warped, but if you're in a season of silence, can I encourage you, treasure the silence. And say, God, I know I don't hear you the same way I used to, and I don't feel you the way that I want to, but God, I know you're there, and I believe that you are working out some strength in my life and salvation for me and others because of what you're doing in this season, even in the midst of that silence. Here's a, here's a third thing. If you're wrestling with doubt, especially if because of your choices, know this, love forgives our choices. That's a whole other sermon, but forgiveness is available let me show you some scriptures. First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's a good verse, isn't it? <laughs> yes? Anybody needed that more than once? Yesterday? Anybody? <laughs> right? He forgives us. That's cool, Chad. I don't know that he could forgive me. I'm pretty messed up. You sure God could love me after all I've done? Good news. He loved you before all you've done. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's a tricky part about sin, and especially when we make those choices that build those walls up between us and God. It can feel good, but just for a season. And in the end, it leaves us more empty and disappointed than we were at the beginning. It's a guy in Kansas City, good guy, I don't think he had a criminal record, married, four stepkids, and at some point he just had enough. He and his wife had gotten into it and had a little bit of a fight, and right in front of her, he said to her, you know, I would rather be in jail than have to live with you. And so right in front of her, he wrote a note in the midst of kind of the passion, the, the heat of the moment, he was kind of going through some medical issues that left him depressed in that time, and he wrote this note. He went down to the bank. He slid that note to a teller that said, I'm robbing this bank. I have a gun. Give me all your money. And so they gave him the money. And when he took the money, he went over and he sat down in a chair in the lobby of the bank, looked at the security guard and said, I'm the guy you're looking for. They came and arrested him. And he stood trial for robbing a bank because he wanted to get away from his wife. Here's what the judge did. Okay, for the record, I'm telling the stories, okay? <laughs> Don't get ahead of me. He was sentenced to six months of home confinement. Isn't that awesome? Because <laughs> so many times, the things that we think are going to solve something just backfire on us. Sin will find you out. It's good for a season. But you're going to find yourself right back with who you are. Look, there are some people that you're probably thinking of, and maybe for some of you, you're like, yeah, there are things in my life that I realize because I've put something between me and God, it's made me doubt his goodness or doubt his faithfulness or doubt his presence. But there's also a good chance, not in a gossipy way, but in a very healthy way, that some of you are thinking about people you know and going, yeah, man, they've listened to some voices. I mean, I can think of, as a pastor, I, can, I could tell you names of people that I've watched distance themselves from God over the years, and it breaks my heart. Because then I watch the consequence of them. First, it's distancing from the church, and then it's distancing from other believers, and then it's distancing themselves ultimately from God. And all along, they're saying, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, until you, sign up. you, you see them at a point where their life's falling apart. That's not judgmental. It's just it's real talk, right? And you may know some of those folks. Here's what Jude says. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. And look at verse 23. He says, save others by snatching them from the fire to, show, to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Here's what I found out. When someone is in a season of doubt, they need others around them more than any other time in their life. Isn't that true? When I'm going through doubt, I don't need to be by myself. I need you to come alongside. And if you're going to snatch, what's he say here? You, you snatch a stick from the fire. You don't snatch a stick from the fire by yelling at them. That's what we do a lot of times. You're making bad choices. You're doing the wrong thing. Or we just whisper about them behind their back. Instead, he says, you reach out. And you love them. And you show mercy in that season. Because that's when we really need each other. One last thought. Jude gives us this kind of oxygen mask for our souls in times of doubt. 
Because eternity addresses our disappointment. Eternity addresses our disappointment. It's a really, really good book on this subject called Disappointment with God by Philip Yancey. If you're, if you're struggling or you know someone that's struggling with some of these things, I'd encourage you. It's a really good read. One of the things he says in there is the alternative to disappointment with God seems to be disappointment without God. <laughs> Either way, we find ourselves in a place of disappointment. Why? Because that's life. Right? Isn't that what the psalmist said? Remember Psalm 102 where he said, God, where are you? Because I got an awful lot going on here and it doesn't seem like, doesn't seem like you're there a whole lot right now, God. Here's how he concludes it. Psalm 102, verse 25. Here's what he's come to realize. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They'll all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be discarded. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence, and their descendants will be established before you. He says, look, God, I know right now it's really bad, but my hope isn't in right now. My hope is in eternity, and I can focus on what I see right now, but I have to believe that what is unseen is so much bigger and greater and, and right than what I can see, and so I put my confidence in that. Life can only be lived forward, but it can only be understood backwards. Isn't that true? There's so many things we won't understand until we're on the other side of those things. And so many times we ask the question, where's God? And I think when we get on the other side of it, we're going to look back and go, oh, he was right there the whole time. He was doing what was right. He was doing what was fair. He was doing what he could because he loves us. See, we get caught up sometimes, and we think that because God is fair that life should be fair. Life isn't always fair, is it? Because we live in a fallen world. And so my relationship with God has to be based on who he is, not that life is fair or unfair. And I have to develop that relationship with him so that when life lets me down or people let me down or when I let me down, <laughs> that my hope and my confidence is still in him. Because isn't that what the story is all about? If you want to talk about a time when God seemed absent and people should have been disappointed, let's go to the cross. Because you've got the son of God who never sinned who lived a life without doing any wrong, and yet he was accused of something he did not do. He was executed unfairly, and he died among common criminals, the Son of God among common criminals. No wonder Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? No wonder the disciples ran away. No wonder people said, this does not make any sense. And God says, but it will. Give me three days, and I'll change everything. Sometimes you can't have a resurrection without a crucifixion. And in those moments, I have to believe and say, God, it doesn't make sense to me right now, but I believe you. I trust you. Isn't that what the, the, the dad said? We talked about this when we were at church at the fair. <laughs> the dad that brought his son to Jesus looked at Jesus and said, Lord, I believe. You help my unbelief. How do you do that? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Here's a helpful thought. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. <laughs> you ever had troubles that didn't feel light and momentary? You ever had those, those moments where you're just going, this is not light, this is heavy, and this isn't momentary, this is, this is going on forever. You ever, you ever been with a child in the grocery store and they're sitting up in that cart? And they're like, we've been in here forever. <laughs> it's like we haven't even passed the bananas yet, right? That's the thing. It's your perspective. And there's these times when I'm like, God, this has gone on forever. Paul says, I know. But you're going to find out that it's light and momentary troubles that are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is unseen, but on what is seen. Or what, not what was seen, but it was unseen. I was almost a heretic there for a minute. Did you see that? <laughs> so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Some of you walked in here today. God didn't have you here to hear a message about doubt. He had you here to hear a message about where you are. 
and you're listening to this here in this room or an auditorium too, or you're watching this on a screen somewhere, and the Spirit's speaking to your heart right now about all those things that you've been struggling with, and you have to make a choice. What are you going to hold on to? Are you going to are you going to hold on to the voices or those choices that you've made? Are you going to are you going to focus on that distance between you and God or where you find yourself today where you're disappointed or are you going to step out in faith and say God, I'm going to hold on to and believe in you. Look because you can. When Jude wraps this letter up that he wrote, he finishes with two kind of very famous verses, Jude verses 24 and 25. He kind of lays it all out there. He says, look, I know it's tough, but let me give you some hope. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. That's a good word right there. So you have to choose what you're going to hold on to. Are you going to hold on to faith or are you going to cling on to doubt? Because what you grab hold of at times can surprise you. So make sure you're grabbing hold of the right thing. Have you heard the term, the term porch pirate? Anybody heard that term? A porch pirate, this is kind of a, a new trending thing, with all the online ordering that people do, a porch pirate is someone who drives through a neighborhood, looks for packages on a porch and goes and swipes them. Because if you thought it had value, then maybe they can get some value out of it too, right? So that's why people are doing all these things with the doorbells with cameras in them and all this kind of stuff. Well, there's some porch pirates in South Carolina that are driving by, see a package on this woman's uh, front porch and it probably looked kind of interesting to them. So they went and snagged it and they were right. It had incredible value. It was worth over $1,000 sitting on her porch. What was inside of it was a group of about six full-grown tarantulas. Yeah, imagine opening that up. I believe in a God of justice, and I'm sure they were all deathly scared of, of spiders. I hope, don't you, that they opened that up and went, this is not what we wanted. I hope they got out, those spiders. Don't you? Man, I hope they do. Nobody knows how the story ended. It just says to me that sometimes you better be careful what you grab hold of. Because what looks like it has value could come back and bite you in the end. So be careful what you believe in. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would, please, whether you're here in Auditorium 1 or in Auditorium 2. And as you're standing, can I ask you just to maybe bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? Think about this subject. Look, for some of you, God is speaking really right to your heart today. He's addressing this subject of doubt. And he is almost as if he's, he's screaming out loud to you. He's saying, I love you. I'm right here with you. You're going to make it. Hold on to me. For others of you, today's the day when it's time for you to make a commitment, to make a decision. Say, God, I can't do this on my own anymore. I've tried to believe in a lot of different things. But today, I believe in you, Jesus, that you are my Savior who forgives me. And you are my healer who makes a difference in my life. And you are my Lord who gives me purpose and direction. Our, our closing prayer, if you will, is, is going to be a song called This I Believe. And we're going to speak words of truth about what we believe about God and the Holy Spirit and about Jesus. And for some of us, this is just a great affirmation. For others of us, Sometimes the best thing that we can do for doubt in our minds is to speak truth with our mouths. And so we're going to speak these words of truth. And I would encourage you, if you need God to fill up your heart with faith, that you'd let him do it in this moment. And if you need to surrender something to him, that you'd do it in this moment. And that you'd let these words of affirmation be a prayer of commitment to say, God, I give my situation, I give my life, I give my doubt to you. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Let's pray. Father, as we sing these words, we offer ourselves to you. God, we ask that you would, would allow your Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with your presence, that you would stir up faith inside of us, that we would take up what Scripture refers to as a shield of faith when the enemy throws things our way, and that our confidence and our hope and our trust would be in you because we believe in you today. 
In Jesus' name, amen. That's our affirmation that we believe in you. God, may we go from here, even in those seasons, even in those seasons of doubt, holding on to the faith that we find in believing in you. Lord, as we go from here, would you go with us? Send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.